Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Now, before we get started, I just wanna I just wanna confront an issue that I think is kind of a big deal. A couple of weeks ago, I was trying to make a point that people are different. Uh, they have different skill sets, different gifts, right? They're different parts on a team. And I wanted to say something like some people are horses and other people are porpoises. And it came out some people are horse porpoises. You know, and at the time, Jay Kim and Karina Gerard, who I used to think were friends, they they relentlessly mocked me. They kept making fun of me. And you know, I forgave them. I let it go. But then something happened. Some of you out there, loyal listeners, started making fun of me as well and started sending me unsolicited horse porpoise pictures right to my email and to my phone. Ken and Maggie neighbors, uh, they sent in multiple pictures. Guys, listen, I went on a mission trip with you and your children to Mexico. We have history. Why are you betraying me like this? Stevie and Heather Haynes sent me pictures. They sent me texts because they have my cell phone, and I've blocked them. I have blocked you, Stevie and Heather. I do not want any more pictures of horse porpoises, all right? I'm tired of it. So all of you out there, if you think it's funny just to make fun of me because I misspoke, listen, you need to get off your high horse porpoise, okay? That's what you need to do because it's not funny. It's just not funny. All right. So I hope that we can move forward now with this without me receiving a deluge of emails or texts that are photoshopped equine dolphins. Okay, I hope we can stop with that because that's not fun for anybody. It's a waste of time, people. It's not funny. Okay, so now on to this week's Afterword. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, when my son was younger, and I need to caveat this, I love my son. My son is an apple that has not fallen very far from the tree, if you know him. and But when he was younger, he had a problem summarizing. Let's just say he liked to talk. Again, no idea where he gets that from. He would tell us stories of his day, and it would take for He would fixate and tell us details that had no point. It's not like these were going to be central in the plot later on. He's just telling us every single thing he saw and did and touched and looked at and that he ate it, it was my my wife would just grow impatient she'd be like all right wrap it up you have three minutes to finish this story and then I am leaving the room because I don't have time for this I was a little bit more sympathetic uh or perhaps just a little bit more uh captured by his storytelling and so I have a little bit more patience but even then there'd be times he'd like watch a movie and he would tell us about the movie and it would take him as long to describe the movie as the movie was long. It's like, sometimes I just get so frustrated. I just grab a bottle of shampoo and just start reading the list of ingredients to him. Just to say, this is what it feels like, okay? Just so you know, this is what it feels like as your father listening to you. So wrap it up, kid. Learn some summary skills. Now, the reason I'm sharing that is because we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Matthew. And a lot of times in the gospel, Matthew tells his stories really quickly. Like the story we're about to share that Lisa Averill and I preached on this past weekend was Matthew 9. It was a story of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and a 12-year-old little girl who's very sick. And these stories are tied and related. And Matthew actually tells this story in only eight verses very quickly. An incredible economy of storytelling. These stories, however... Uh, this exact same pairing of stories is found in two other Gospels, 
It's in, found in Luke 8 and in Mark 5. Luke takes twice the amount of time that Matthew does. It takes him 16 verses to tell the story. And Mark 5, Mark tells the story in 21 verses, the most long-winded. And that's what we wanted to focus on this week. This week, Lisa, Aver and I are going to dig into all three different accounts and show how even though Matthew is the most terse and the most quick and the most speedy, there are some incredible details that are in the other two accounts that really enhance the story, add some color, add some nuance and some incredible depth and beauty into the story. So we're going to delve into that. We're also going to talk about just the, the general lesson of this passage uh, that Matthew is including. He's trying to show us that Jesus has the power to fix situations that seem too broken, and that with Jesus, it's never too late. The situation's never too broken, and it's never too late. This is what the kingdom of God breaking into the world is like. And so we're going to be talking about that. So I'm joined by Lisa Averill. Let's just uh, dive right in. Everybody, welcome to the Afterward. Here with Lisa Averill. Woohoo! Lisa. And here with Dave Tish. Woohoo! Yeah. The two of us. Very exciting. Uh, so here's the thing. This passage of scripture actually might be one of my favorites mm-hmm. in in the scriptures. Really? It, I, I I don't know. I've I've preached on this at summer camps for youth, mm. and it like super duper is emotional. Um, so here's what I like to do. We read from Matthew chapter 9, and Mm -hmm. the thing is, this story is recounted in two other Gospels. Yes, it is. And the Matthew version is dramatically shorter than the other two. Matthew's only eight verses to tell this whole story of these two characters, uh, the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter. Right. Mark gives it 21 verses. Mm -hmm. Luke gives it 16. And so... Because Matthew is so terse, so Hemingwayly short, concise, <laughs> concise, to the yeah, point. yeah. Uh, we, you, and I both went to other gospels we to did. to fill in details. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, before we get into this, uh, what lesson do you think that that shows people that these this one story is re- repeated multiple times, and yet as you read it in the other gospels? I felt like it was a more, um, I learned there was so much depth in the other two versions. Yeah. It like informed, all three kind of informed me. It wasn't just one. Like what yeah. lesson do you think that that? Well, sh- it's kind of cool. It reminds me of our teaching team, right? We have different people that teach and we could all teach on the same thing, but we bring a different viewpoint. And so I think Matthew's conciseness was probably just how he was wired, right? Like, and to get more to the point, and certain things were most important. Obviously, all of these um, authors were spirit-led, so what they said was the Holy What God spirit. wanted, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just think um, Mark must have been a talker and, and loved <laughs> details, right? And Luke was kind of in between, and certain things interesting that he would uh, maybe leave out or say. Luke's his- accounts are almost always the most verbose, because yeah. Luke is like has a really human eye for detail. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. So here's what I'd like to do. Okay. Um, I'd like to go through and and have like a little back and forth. Uh, I'd like to go and choose uh, little passages that are in Mark or Luke that are not in Matthew. Okay. That your eye and your heart kind of went to that actually informed 
and and shed light on uh, or enhanced Matthew's account uh, and, and that you kind of loved. So um, you go, I go, you go, I go, or I go, you go, you go, I go. And then we'll, I'll share a couple that were some of my favorites because, again, I love, I love the idea that these gospel accounts taken together give us a more full picture yeah. or a, a more – it's like a three witnesses kind of witnessed an accident. Mm, and yes. they're all giving us details that like inform the other ones. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like one drove by, one <laughs> drove by, parked, saw from a little closer, and the other and one got was out, there. Right, yeah, yeah, right, right there. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's funny. That's well, why funny. don't you go first with yours, and then okay. I'll fill in with some others that I that I came up with. Uh, do you want me to go silly or or, or deep? Oh, Dave, it's not you without silly. Okay. Uh, but, but I'm going to need you to go deep, okay, too. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll start with silly. Uh, there's a detail that Mark includes that Matthew and Luke don't okay. uh, uh, about the woman who had been bleeding, mm-hmm. which I think is also, it's beautiful, but it's also kind of funny. Okay, wait a second. How in the world is a woman bleeding beautiful? No, let me explain. Okay. It said that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Yes. And had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew grow worse. I love that because it shows the desperation of yeah. her in a way that Matthew kind of uh, kind of glosses over. Now, saying that she's been bleeding 12 years for him, probably, probably enough. Yeah. But he adds this detail that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors mm-hmm. and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Yeah. There's a desperation there. There's a coloring to her situation. I think it's funny because Luke... The doctor does oh. not put this detail in. Oh, interesting. That the doctors yeah. couldn't help her. So Luke's like conveniently leaves that yeah. out. L- Luke <laughs> Luke says that no one could heal her. He just, no doctor, Luke. Uh, I thought that was kind of, but it's kind of funny, but it's also, I just think it's a beautiful detail that shows us the desperation of this woman. Yeah. And it kind of colored it. Well, what was one for you? So that's my first one. Yeah. Uh, why don't you give me Your one? first one. Okay, I'm going to kind of skip to the end, oh, actually. Oh, got it. Um, I don't know why, because that's just how I'm thinking. Um, so in Matthew 9, um, it's, it leaves out this whole part at the end where in um, actually, I'm sorry, hang on, let me find it here. Um, in the Mark passage, it says, um, After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Mark or uh, Matthew tells us none of that at all. He's just like, get the people out, and then he he basically heals her. And I just think he could have left, you know, mom and dad outside and even the disciples and just gone in himself. Yeah. Um, But I think there's something in him including this. Jesus, yes, ability to heal, but also how much he cares. Can you imagine as a mom and a dad, like, I'd want to be there next to my child. I'd want to see, and and the fact that he didn't just heal from a distance, didn't, I mean, because we've seen different examples, too, where Jesus just spoke a word with the centurion son, and, and he was healed. But he went and took them privately. Yeah. All the people that were wailing, all that, get you know, away. But I, I want to look you in the eyes and I want you to see that I'm taking your daughter's hand. Like I care and I'm going to speak into her. So I just love the personal human, um, intimate part of that, that Matthew, for whatever reason, yeah. didn't give us any of that. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Mine, mine is related. This is actually probably my favorite moment yeah. in, in the account. It's not my favorite moment, but man, it's when, uh, Matthew does not record this. Um, it's the moment when they, uh, after 
and Mark and Luke both both uh, include it. In, in the Luke account, what happens is Jesus is kind of interrupted, and the woman who's been bleeding kind of takes some time, and then they go, and somebody comes up to him and says, um, comes to Jairus, and what do they say? Um, Your daughter is dead. It, it, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said to him. Why bother the teacher anymore? Hmm. And that moment, first of all, uh, Matthew doesn't record the synagogue leader's even name. Right. Uh, Luke does, and so does Mark. But in that moment, uh, I love this moment because there, it's like Jesus is detained, healing this other woman, and like the Jairus has got to be like, "Come, come on! Yeah, like this is time is of the essence here, Jesus. Right? Like, yeah, absolutely. This is important. And then, and then those words, "Your daughter is dead," and just as a dad, as a guy who has a daughter. Those four words are the like the worst horror. Mm. Like that's the worst possible sentence that could be uttered to me yeah. in this world. Yeah. Like more than you have cancer, you're going to die, all that, nothing. Mm. Your daughter is dead is like the worst. And it says right after this, uh, Mark includes this detail that overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, told Jairus, don't be afraid. Yeah. Just believe. Yeah. I love I, I love that moment because the only emotion in that moment is just sheer terror. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, Don't be afraid. Yeah. Like, come with me. Follow me. Yeah. Like you you and I. Like let just follow me here. Yeah. You know? And don't be afraid, but believe and your daughter will be healed. Like he actually told him. Yeah, Luke right. in, Luke in, Luke includes another clause in the Luke version. Don't be afraid, just believe she's gonna be healed. Yeah. He like tells him the end of the story, yeah. which is incredible. Which I don't understand why Matthew doesn't tell you that. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're we're at the house, and there's 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 so much in what you just said. Yeah. So much in what you just said, and I also think that's the reason that Jesus healed the woman publicly, right? Because Jairus needed to see her be healed to have that faith that he could say about his daughter. When the when the friends came and said, "Hey, your daughter's dead," like yeah. no reason to to bother him anymore. I, you just wonder if Jesus looked at Jairus as he's healing this woman. Like, are you seeing what I'm doing here? Are you seeing what I'm doing right. here? Little do you know. Yeah, yeah. But then he actually said it um, in right. Luke's well, it's interesting. She like she's like you said. She's kind of doing this in secret. You yeah. Know? She's like, I just need to touch him. That's enough for me. Yeah. That's the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, is gonna. If I just touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. And um, and his he's <laughs> he's like he does. He heals her. Yeah. Right in front of Jairus. Uh, that's just by touching his cloak. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Jesus. There must have been a thought in Jairus. Well, if he can do that just by touching him, right? Then there, this guy's Superman. There's something else going on here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that was good. I, I love the emotion of that. Okay, what's one for you? Um, well, this this is just a really simple one, um, but it it tells us in Luke eight that the girl was about twelve years old. Yes, and um, apparently in Jewish culture, when you were twelve years old, you were becoming a woman. You were basically considered a woman. I was because when it says the little girl, I just think, oh, a little girl. But, like, she was right at the cusp of, like, her entering her adult life. 
Um, and so it doesn't say that in Matthew. It doesn't give her age at all. No, no. Yeah. And so I think it's significant in the sense of, to your point, of the loss of your daughter, period, right? Yeah. But also, like, in the prime. Like, she's just finally, he's gotten her to this point. And, I mean, they got married off young back then. They started having kids young. Like, she was just getting started. And then, bam, tragedy looks like is going to happen. Hey, what's up with the twelve? It's the woman been bleeding for 12 years. The girl's 12 years old. Like, yeah. what's going on there? Did you read anything about that? Well, I I did. Um, obviously, the girl is dying, and her, her parents, her dad in particular, had had her for 12 years. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and no doctors helping, getting worse. So she's basically, in essence, dying, if you will, too. So it's an interesting – I don't know if there's any significance in the number 12. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that you have – a little girl dying and a uh, a woman, in essence, Not has better. been yeah. her body physically, in essence, yeah, yeah, sick and dying for twelve years, yeah, um, yeah, that's a yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, twelve is kind of a number of perfect community. Twelve tribes of Israel. Yeah, yeah, you hear that. But do you think it relates? I, I don't know. It does. It's it's it's. But they're so intentional. They throw it in there. Yeah. I should probably do more research into you that. Probably should. Uh, we're here at the twelve minute mark. Uh, that was a joke. Oh, um, there we go. <laughs> should we move on to something else? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Let me tell you. Let me. Uh, let me. Let me. Okay. So this is crazy. Uh, Matthew doesn't record this, but Luke and Mark do. Okay. When the woman touches Jesus, he turns around and he says this line. Uh, someone touch me. I know because power has gone out from me. Yeah. Like what? Isn't that crazy? That is great. And, and in Mark, it says that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, like what? Like, yeah. that's crazy. I like, I don't, uh, that's just, so that's a little bit of a mind blowing. I, I have, I don't know what to make of that except that uh, that's that's nuts. Do you ever feel like power goes? No, out of you? not like I that. I feel like when I'm exhausted, but that's not power. <laughs> that's just like I'm tired. There but are yeah, certain people when they try that. to talk to me. Um, <laughs> that's true. I remember when I was a, a parent of of little kids, and my my son especially, he would just go on and on. Yeah, and he would tell me all the details. <laughs> yes, there was a little bit of that, but no, that that's insane. Like like the power, like what's going yeah. on? That's just that's. That's something that's worth thinking about. Okay, yeah. you have one more. I do. Do I? Do you? Do I? I don't know. Do you have one? Um, I can't. I think in uh, yeah, in the passage in Matthew at the very end, um, he just says the girl got up, right? Like yeah. he heals her, and the girl got up. But in um, I think it's in Luke. It says to her, um, then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. So he, like she stood up. Like the, he actually, again, kind of meets the practical and physical needs. I can't imagine if you've been sick, you know, and on your deathbed for that long, like you would be hungry. You would, you know, need to get up and start walking around, get your strength back. And I just think it's great how, yes, he heals, but he also does the practical things. Like he's this, um, I don't know. Like it's amazing to think he brought someone back to life, right? Yeah. But he also cares that she has food, you know. <laughs> it reminds me, it reminds me, there's a couple times uh, in the New Testament where Jesus feasts with people, he eats with people. Uh, it's like, imagine she's brought back from the dead and he's like, hey, have a meal together. Mm. Imagine prepping that meal for your daughter mm. who's now back mm. 
And imagine thinking what life would have been like preparing every meal from that minute forth without her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there's a reunite. There's something about food and feasting and eating together that's really important in the New Testament. I even think about how heaven is described, how Jesus talks about heaven as like a banqueting table. And even in Revelation, there's this sense that there's meals together. There's a... There's a feast. There's a, so there's something, and then even when he comes back, what's he do with his disciples? We we already I think we already talked about this in in Matthew, uh, or in Easter. I guess it was in Easter, the Easter message. He he cooks some fish, fish. for his disciples. Yeah. Right? There's something about that that's that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, you wonder if they made her favorite meal. Oh, what do you think it would be? Uh, certainly, Pizza. right? Mike, <laughs> yeah, maybe chicken nuggets. Yeah, dinosaur ones. <laughs> Dino nuggets. Yeah. I believe that's actually in the text. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's in John. I think it's in John. I think John says that her favorite meal was dino nuggets, nuggets. <laughs> with a side of fries. Okay, uh, I want to transition now to um, another aspect of this. Um, by the way, I love that. I first of all, I love that we just spent so much time just talking about the beautiful differences between yeah. these three gospel accounts. Well, and it's just an expansion. It's not it's, even different. I mean, it's different how it's written, but it's all true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. We got a, it's so cool. such a wider view, yeah, and that's they, really helpful in understanding. The old, uh, the old rabbis would talk about how Scripture is like a, a jewel that you turn. They mm. say turn the jewel, mm. you know, turn the gem. Cause the, the like light, a diamond. Yeah, like, it, like, a ref, like a diamond. That was Rihanna. You're quoting right now. Uh, it, it, it's like it, the light hits different, and yeah. I... You just see this all the time in scripture. Yeah, uh, I love it. It might be my favorite thing in the world to do with um, my with people. Yeah. So thanks for uh, indulging me on that. Yeah, no. Uh, now let's get to the pastoral side. Okay. Which is uh, the lessons from this? Matthew's tr- clearly telling us: Listen, Jesus has all authority. Mm. Look, look what he, lo- what can't this man do? Right? Yeah. He can reach into death. Yeah. Like this is nuts. Even touching him. Um, but there's something even bigger that's going on. Jesus is healing needs that even the people in the story perhaps don't even understand that they need. Like the bleeding yeah. woman thinks she needs healing from a physical ailment, mm-hmm. but there's much more going on as we talked about. Yeah. Uh, even the way that Jesus is so tender toward the dad, Jairus, and like you said, taking the mom and the dad into the room. There's, uh, hey, have a meal together. Make, make something for her, you yeah. know? There's something deeply holistic. Mm-hmm. In what, he's not just fixing broken things he's fixing every everything right yeah. um and so we had a mantra at the end of our our teaching which was with jesus it kind of these two stories these two stories show us that it's never too broken mm-hmm. and it's never too late with jesus yeah. um and that's a beautiful sentiment but um some folks kind of wrote in and they had some questions about that because although that's a beautiful sentiment um sometimes it can it can look on its face like it is too broken or it is too late so somebody uh wrote in uh kind of a question i'm going to paraphrase it a little bit uh it said um hey my father was an unrepentant alcoholic he was abusive and toxic and destructive and we basically had to cut him out of our lives and the life of my family in particular so i i think he's saying him and his siblings or him and his extended family uh last year he died and we never reconciled and to my knowledge he never turned from his addiction isn't that a situation where it's technically too late for Jesus to do anything? Uh, so in that case, it, it's literally a, a, a situation of death. Yeah. And there was a situation that was broken that didn't get resolved because yeah. the person died. Yeah. Um, what kind of pastorally would you say in response to to that? Let's mm-hmm. say that person is in front of you. What would you say uh, to that? Well, it is really hard. 
um, first of all, I would show compassion for what they've gone through, right? Like, it, and we don't have answers. We don't always, we don't know God's reasoning for allowing that. And we also know as humans, we have personal choices. And sometimes those choices put us in situations that the end result is something even as horrific as death, whether through an addiction or, or other things too. And, um, so I think sometimes with that, we just have to understand, well, number one, death will happen to all of us. So however, we're all in essence going to die. And I don't mean that like flippantly. I just mean practically we all, we all probably have experienced that or will experience the death of somebody, um, no matter how, whether, um, it was a disease, whether it was a, a bad choice of their own, something like that. Um, but it's never too late for God to work. You're, it's never too broken for God to work. And oftentimes we think it's working in that situation of healing that person or pulling them out of addiction. And it, it can be, and we see where it does, but it also can be, it's never too late for God to work in you too. Like what, what do I take away from that situation? Um, uh, with the, the one that you just mentioned with the, how did you say it? The, I forget the guy um, died of his addiction. Yeah, the, he was an unrepentant alcoholic, yeah. abusive, toxic, and destructive. And to my knowledge, he never turned from his addiction. Yeah, so we're not puppets. You know, God allows us to do what we do. And we're, so, I mean, I think in that situation, um, pastorally, I would just um, think, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me in that? Like, to have compassion for those to maybe... Um, um, man, I don't know, Dave. What? Yeah, it's it's a little bit like uh, that moment in Genesis where Joseph says, "What you meant for evil, God turned into good." Right? That there is a, a way for God to work even in that horrible situation. Yeah. To to begin to bring good out of that, to redeem and help and heal you and your family, and do something good in that. So, but there's also the question of like, what about what about Dad? Like, isn't it too late for, for God to do anything for dad? And you were at a pastor's conference and you kind of threw this out there and, and, and um, some folks had, had some things to say that you thought might were also kind of helpful about the, of course, God can still deal with us and our brokenness and the horrible things that happened to us. And that is, I think, where our focus should be. Mm -hmm. But then the question is like, well, what about dad? Like, what wasn't it too late for God to do anything? My dad died of an addiction and... and you know, and his disease, and yeah. we were never reconciled. It was broken to the very end. So, like, what about that? Yeah, well, this um, pastor just um, quoted something that um, Dallas Willard at one time had told him, and he said, our hope is not in anybody's belief or their life. Our only hope is that God is doing the best he can for everybody. And so he's doing the best he can. Um, I mean, because people have free wills, they have the choice to make, and oftentimes we have no control over that. But that, that what that does is it allows us to have this deep, settled sense of God's goodness and his activity, that he's doing the best he can with everybody. Yeah. But it also has an edge to it, which is that in, in some situations, people choose not to cooperate with God. They choose not to, Yeah, they just shut God out. They just, they just say no. And, yeah. and we've seen the opposite. I know you and I have seen lots of situations where there's a situation that seems impossibly broken. Yeah. 
and uh, people come and they submit their lives to God and, and they say, I'll do anything. I'll, God, help me. And we've seen people get out of really dark addictions and all sorts of things. And God has worked with those people, right? Yeah. And he's, try- he's helping yeah. them and they are they're desperate for God yeah. and they're open to it. And there's other times, and the converse is true, where people, if they had just like submitted their life and repented and yeah. come to God and asked for help, and been honest and truthful about how bad things were, God could have flowed flowed in like a, a tidal wave of grace. Yeah. And they've said no. Yeah. And they've walked away and it's left the family broken and there's nowhere to go and divorce happens and broken relations because of their choice, right? Yeah. So I guess sometimes in that situation, as hard as it is to say, sometimes it, yeah, I guess it is too late. If we, we can close the door, you yeah. know? And then I'd say there's just, just one little thing. Like I... I never want to judge someone's final, if you will, like destination. Yeah, we have no right? idea. Like, right. We don't know right. what God has said, what they've said to him, you know, like in that last minute or at some point in their life. I don't know. So um, I don't want to be naive with somebody's life that was just seemed so like stiff armed to God. But at the same time, I'll leave that to God. How about the thief on the cross? Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> I mean, if there's ever, a, 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 I mean, Jesus tells parables about like the, the, the guys who come in yeah. uh, and get their wages, they come in the 11th hour, right? Yeah. And, and, and our God is an 11th hour God. Absolutely. I mean, he swoops in at the last minute. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Which is why when somebody says, hey, what, what's going on with that person's eternal destiny? There's no possible way for me to know. Yeah. But instead, let's let's focus on you. Okay, well, I don't know about your dad and what he did, but let's talk about you. Yeah. And, and let's talk about what the lesson is from your dad's life. Yeah, no, that's good. Like and, that. and sometimes I had a friend who had something similar to this. His father also was an alcoholic, and alcohol destroyed his life, hmm. his dad's life. Hmm. And so he made a decision that honoring his mom and dad meant honoring the the things that destroyed his dad's life and then not going toward those things hmm. so like if my dad had been right in his mind he would tell me if he'd been freed from this yeah he would say don't be an alcoholic so i'll fight against that you know even though that's a pattern hmm. so it was like a way to honor his dad because he saw how destructive it was in his dad's life yeah it was a way of like honoring his dad because his dad would would say stay away from the bottle this is the worst my I've ruined my life. Don't yeah. don't be like me. Mm. You know what I mean? It yeah. was like there was a sense that it, in his best moments, his dad realized how destructive this was. He just couldn't get free from it. Yeah. But then his son was like, "Well, I'm going to be free from it with Jesus's help, as a way to honor my dad." So that was like a way that he kind of connected with his dad's brokenness. Yeah. And I guess too, Dave, as I'm thinking while you're saying this too, one of the best things that we have with God is that He's there with us in the brokenness, right? When we say it's never too late, it's never too broken. No matter what the it looks like on the outside, the circumstance, it's never too late to invite him in, to allow him to give you the comfort that you need. It's never too broken to let him weep with you, alongside you, to carry that burden that you carry and to give it to him. Um, so I would say pastorally, we always think, well, then he's going to fix it. If we say it's not too broken or it's not too late, then that means he's going to last minute come in and we'll make everything happen. Make, good. Yeah. Happy ending. Yep. But it's so much 
deeper than that and so much more personal with, than yeah. that. And I think that's what we see in these two stories too. Yeah. There's this, there's the story that we read that we've read many times before and like, Oh, he healed a girl rose from the dead. Like that's amazing. But then he also this plea woman. Yay. But it's like, Oh no, no, no. Did you see how he did it? Did you see how he was with them? And I think that's one of the things I can yeah. hold on when it feels like my circumstance, it was too late or too broken, but God is still there with me in a macro way. He does fix both these situations. Hmm. And in a macro way, Jesus will fix everything. Like, yeah. I know that you're in life groups with folks who, uh, and you're walking very closely with some friends who have dealt with some pretty tough uh, cancer diagnoses. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, they have to be dealing with that. Like, this is God going to fix me? Yeah. Is, am I going to be healed? Right. Like, as you walk through them with them, is this kind of their hope too? Well, I think it's everyone's hope, right? And and there are the ups and downs because um, both of them have pretty serious um, stage three type cancer, and so um, it's it, they've gone through the ups and downs. But what I have seen being consistent for them, at least, was their faith, which is what we're seeing with these stories too. It's it's not just um, being near Jesus or thinking about wishing and hoping, but like desperate for a healing. And I think. Um, They've had to work through that healing could be on the other side of earth, if you will. Sure. And in doing that, um, that isn't the case yet, but they were they were able to place themselves um, with God that no matter what it looked like and as hard as it is, they continued to trust. They were determined not to give up until it was their last breath, if you will. Um, and so that looks different for everyone, but it, it's hard. Yeah. Well, it's like for for the follower of Jesus, it's interesting. He's either going to heal them or he's going to heal them. Absolutely. They're either going to be with Jesus or they're going to be with Jesus. So there is a sense in which ultimately they will be healed of cancer. Um, Just sometimes it doesn't work the way that we thought, but ultimately... Jesus will win and life will win. Yeah. And that's, that's a hope. That's, that's the hope of, uh, in the final day, the day of the Lord, that God will set all things right. That's the, the kind of the ultimate existential hope. And that's, I think what has sustained Christians for millennia. Yeah. You know, millennia. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So much good stuff in this passage and it's, it goes way deeper than, yeah. you know, um, we certainly yeah. don't want to be just flippant with like, you know, yeah, so God's going to make everything better, yeah. but 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 ultimately, the reason that Matthew tells the story, and the, I think the reason he tells it so quickly is, uh, there's no problem Jesus can't fix. Yeah, absolutely. and and in the new heavens and new earth, this is kind of a symptom of what the kingdom of God's like. There's not without Jesus. This is a story about a bleeding woman and a dead girl. Yeah, but with Jesus, mm-hmm. it's a story about a healed woman who's called daughter by God, yeah. and a girl eating a dinner with her family. Do you know what I mean? With Jesus, it all changes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I think what we're supposed to be. Yeah. What Matthew and Mark and Luke want us to really reflect on. And I would say it's our choice to do it with Jesus or not. Right. Because both of these people in the story, there were excuses as to why they may not have either chosen to come to Jesus in the first place. Or once you heard your daughter was dead, like Forget it. Like, he's not who I thought I was. Yeah. So it's a choice. Yeah. And it takes courage to walk into what you can't see and you don't know how it's going to end. And that is one thing that is common in all these accounts. Both the bleeding woman and Jairus, they're desperate. Yeah. they And they come to the only source that they can possibly think of that could be help. Yeah. And that's Jesus. Yeah. 
And that's the human condition. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the human condition. And that, I think that's the invitation. Yeah. Super awesome. Yeah. Lisa, this is great. Thank you so much for, uh, for sitting with me and uh, chatting up scripture. So fun. Chatting up scripture. I, I just, I, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's a, um, it was a great thing to do together on our yeah. campuses. So. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any, any final words? Uh, yeah, it's never too late. It's never too broken. <laughs> With That's Jesus. Awesome. awesome. Well, we, we really, I mean, it's either desperation or hope. I'm going the hope route, and that is only with Jesus. Yeah. So, That's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Matthew season six. Okay. I, I, I feel like I should ask you something lighter, something funnier. Uh, Do you remember what it's like to be a 12 year old? Do you think back on that? I loved being a 12 year old. Those were the years, weren't they? They were pretty good. Yeah. Well, or terrible, depending on junior high. I went to a really small, like, private Christian school. There were, like, maybe 20 of us in my eighth grade graduating class. Oh, wow. So. It's pretty small. It was pretty small. Knew everybody really Where well. Where was that? So. What city? Bellingham, Washington. Oh, uh, Washington State. Washington State. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So exciting. So, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, 12. We Yeah, it was a long time ago, too. So, Good it was to- all just fun and games sure yeah a simpler time a simpler time not like uh not like uh 12 in the ancient middle east no and not like 12 now even oh yeah that's true yeah it does feel different it is different yeah Yeah. Yeah. i was afraid of falling off the monkey bars that was like my right and now it does feel like um different things are being forced upon 12 year olds that they have to deal with and complexities that are uh we didn't have i didn't have to deal with for sure yeah all right okay all right well that was dark all right well that was fun all right well all right right. thanks lisa you're welcome bye Uh, bye. just want to say thanks to lisa averill for stopping by join us next week when we're going to be in a discourse of jesus where he sends out his disciples into the world and talks about the very mission of god the missio dei what's god up to in the world and why it's so important that we understand that and join him. Uh, Otherwise, we can tend to make Jesus and his life all about us. So we're going to talk about that. Jake Kim will be by, and uh, we'll see you next week.